Hey there, friends. So, it's been a little bit. Probably thought I maybe died on one of those plane trips that I had to take. But, I did not. I am back. Um, a lot of just weird stuff had happened. Um, I had actually contracted COVID from one of the trips that I had taken. And uh, so that sort of knocked me out of the loop for a little bit. And then I had another trip. I had to fly out to California and uh, the trip itself went well, you know, um, wore my mask, try to stay as safe as humanly possible. And I'm getting ready to come back home. And um, my first plane was delayed. So I had like a, I have a, a bunch of layovers. I was going clear across the country. And so my first plane was delayed getting to Arizona and then like half of the plane missed their connecting flight because we were late. So they just decided to reschedule us for the next day instead of trying to get us home that day. Um, I I don't hold anything against like, you know, the, the uh, stewardesses or stewards or pilots or the customer service people. I, I blame uh, corporations for greed and all around fuckery. Um, the sad part of that was that I was actually um, supposed to be coming home the day before my birthday and now I would be flying home the day of my birthday and not getting home until like eight o'clock at night. So I kind of went through these sort of range of emotions which I thought kind of tied into this episode because we're, we're getting into the uh, castaway deserted island portion of the podcast. Um, you know, it's I was in no way stranded on a desert island, but I was stranded. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know the area very well. The airline gives you like a, what do you call them? Like vouchers for taxis and hotels, but they don't really like help you get to that situation. You know what I mean? They just release you in, and, and that's an international airport. It's a massive airport. Um, so along with having sort of that emotional uh, disappointment of knowing that I'm going to be alone on my birthday uh, with no one, like I, I didn't even have any of, there was none of my coworkers were on this plane with me. I actually got on a completely different flight out. Um, in a city that I don't know um, and not knowing if like the next day was going to be just all around fuckery as well so um, you know it definitely super super sucked and friends. So it's been a little bit. Probably thought I maybe died on one of those plane trips that I had to take, but I did not. I am back. Um, a lot of just weird stuff had happened. Um, I had actually contracted COVID from one of the trips that I had taken. And uh, so that sort of knocked me out of the loop for a little bit. And then I had another trip. I had to fly out to California and uh, the trip itself went well, you know, um, wore my mask, try to stay as safe as humanly possible. And I'm getting ready to come back home. 
and um, my first plane was delayed. So I had like a, I have a, a bunch of layovers. I was going clear across the country. And so my first plane was delayed getting to Arizona. And then like half of the plane missed their connecting flight because we were late. So they just decided to reschedule us for the next day instead of trying to get us home that day. Um, I I don't hold anything against like, you know, the, the uh, stewardesses or stewards or pilots or the customer service people. I, I blame uh, corporations for greed and all around fuckery. Um, the sad part of that was that I was actually um, supposed to be coming home the day before my birthday and now I would be flying home the day of my birthday and not getting home until like eight o'clock at night. So I kind of went through these sort of range of emotions, which I thought kind of tied into this episode because we're, we're getting into the uh, castaway deserted island portion of the podcast. Um, you know, it's I was in no way stranded on a desert island, but I was stranded. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know the area very well. The airline gives you like a, what do you call them? Like vouchers for taxis and hotels, but they don't really like help you get to that situation. You know what I mean? They just release you in, and, and that's an international airport. It's a massive airport. Um, so along with having sort of that emotional uh, disappointment of knowing that I'm going to be alone on my birthday uh, with no one. Like, I, I didn't even have any of... There was none of my co-workers were on this plane with me. I had actually gotten a completely different flight out um, in a city that I don't know. Um, and not knowing if, like, the next day was going to be just all-around fuckery as well. So, um, you know, it definitely super, super sucked. And so, like I said, you know, I had to deal with the the idea of sort of being stranded in a very, very uh, first world country kind of way. Um, where my life was definitely not in danger, but it, emotionally it was very, very taxing. Because um, it had been a very long, um, sort of intense work week where I was working 10, 12 hour days, having to do a lot of like um, interacting with people, um, still dealing with, you know, like the pandemic and not knowing what's safe and what's not. And, you know, it, it was a lot. So once I got done with my sort of uh, mental breakdown, um, you know, toddler-like crying, because I just wanted to be home, you know. I missed my wife, I missed uh, the dogs, I missed my bed, um, I missed, you know, I just wanted to be home. And it's, it's especially hard when it's like around a special time and you're just like, fuck, I'm by myself. So um, I think it kind of played into this episode because it's very easy for us to sort of look into survival situations and say, oh, I, I wouldn't do this or I wouldn't do that. Um, 
you're going to have these range of emotions, and, and you actually very much do see that in the movie. So I wanted to get into that in the sense that it is very easy to say, okay, I'm just going to take a deep breath and think this through. That doesn't always work out. Like I, at some point I was like at the customer service, like ticketing desk. And I had texted my wife that like, I, I wasn't going to come home. I'm, I'm not coming home. And she immediately sort of called me and, um, I was kind of very abrupt with her because I, I did not have the emotional standing to speak at that moment to explain things I had to sort of be in that moment which I think is healthy and unhealthy you know but I also knew that I wasn't in a good mind frame to speak to my wife and not sort of put that on her in the moment it's not her fault that airlines are stupid um so yeah so anyway get to the hotel it's a really cool, posh, hipster-like hotel, and if I had been there any other time, it probably would have been a fucking blast, but it was just bizarre. But it got me thinking about the episode, because um, it was in Arizona, and um, hot. Like, just hot, hot in a way I don't understand. I'm from the South, and um, I don't know if I'm just used to humidity. But um, that heat out there and that sun out there, it was like, well, there's no cover. You know, it was just like you're instantly baking as soon as you get outside. Um, so, yeah, so it was an adventure. But I am home now and I'm happy and I have my humidity and temperate climate and it's wonderful. Um, but yeah, let's get into Castaway. So the first bit, we talked about plane safety. And to be very, very honest, this time around, I did book my flights with um, the seating in mind and sort of evaluating the situation. And, you know, I, I tried to make sure that I was very aware of where exits were, where the actual life vest were, because every plane, the life vests are in completely different places. Um, and that kind of made me feel better. There was one time, though, we had terrible turbulence coming home. And, you know, I, I once we take off, I start looking at my, my watch to time it, you know, time before, or time during takeoff, time when we're doing the descent. Because those are the times when something's going to happen, that's when it's going to happen, right? Um, but then we get up, and, the, my, you know, my, my watch tells me that we're out of that sort of threshold, but it doesn't really fucking matter because the plane is shaking, and like doing there and the poor lady that was sitting sort of diagonally to me she's she thought this was it she thought this is it we're going down it was pretty bad i was also way in the back on that part of the trip which was only like a 50 minute flight but i was like i almost never sit that far back because you get turbulence like it's part of your job to keep the fucking plane's ass down and um yeah it was pretty rough but uh, so now we're, we're past that part of the plane has crashed. He clearly had to do a, a uh, they did a water landing in the movie. He did have the raft. Um, it did puncture at some point. Um, you know, at least he was sort of, I think it was one of the pilots or something had thrown the raft at him or something like that um, because he didn't have his life vest on. But either way, 
you know, so that's what sort of keeps me safe. But I think that what a lot of people have to understand is and only people who really have been on the ocean sort of get what the ocean is kind of about, which is the ocean does not give a fuck about you. There are things in the ocean that we have yet to discover and probably never will, and I think that's probably what freaks me out the most about it. Um, also, as you guys know, I am a shitty swimmer, so um, I've been working on it, though. I've been going to the, the pool twice a week, um, bought some sort of, like, uh, tools to sort of help me learn how to float better and kind of breathe and watching a lot of YouTube videos and what have, um, you know, and that's just in a pool. So uh, open water, I think I, I would probably not fare as well. And, and also, you know, it's just one of those things where besides the fact that you've just been through a traumatic experience of crashing, um, things are blowing up all over you. Um, you know, and that's the biggest thing is that if, if when a plane crashes, you need to get as far away from the plane as humanly possible. Uh, as quickly as possible, because it does not take long for the, um, I believe it's called the, the fuselage, the, the gas, the fuel, to uh, to spark and blow everything up. So a lot of the times when a plane catch crashes, it doesn't blow up on impact. It takes a little bit, but that little bit is literally a couple of minutes. So you need to get out of the plane as quickly as possible, swim as far away as possible. So we're getting up to the point where he's on the island. Um, and I think sometimes people who, um, when you see a lot of these survival films or stories and it has to deal with desert islands, um, if you haven't seen The Wilds, that's a great show. It's mostly about teenagers and stuff, so you have to get over the fact that, like, you're going to deal with some dumb drama and just ridiculousness, but it is about survival on a desert island. Um, it's kind of like the female version of Lord of the Flies, but they don't immediately, like, try to crush, what's his name, Piggy with a boulder. Um, so, he gets to the island, and and I think, like I said, when, with a lot of these situations, people are like, oh, land. First off, if you've been rocking and rolling in the ocean, getting on land is going to be amazing. You're also probably going to get a bit sick. Um, because at that point, there's no way that you don't have motion sickness or, you know, you know, at that point you sort of have your sea legs and you have to get your land legs back. But, um, you get to that and you're like, oh shit, land. Like land always feels safer. Nobody wants to survive on the open ocean. Um, and also more times than not, we really do think to ourselves, oh, like if it's, if it's land, then there has to be people. Um, here and that's not always the case um, you know you always hear of like sort of rich people buying their own private islands right so like we hear about it all the times but um, it doesn't always that doesn't mean that every single piece of the earth is inhabited. We hear about places that people will go exploring and find, like, tribes that have never seen, you know, a, a white person before, um, you know, and and that just blows our mind. And I think that that sort of blows our mind because, like, honestly, we 
we're connected by the internet. Um, you know, we, our, our whole world has sort of, as big as it is, has sort of shrunk. You know, there would have been a time in my life where if I was living where I was living, um, I would never have met anyone who lived in another country. You know, um, you know, and that's just from the internet or even just from television or, or TV shows. Like, and maybe I never met them, but I, I can know of them. And I think sometimes when we see the desert island, we're just like, oh, well, there's definitely have to be people here. Like, who wouldn't live in a tropical paradise? Um, that's not the case at all. So there's definitely a difference between some an uninhabited island um, as opposed to an undis- unclaimed or undiscovered island. Um, and from what I had sort of looked up was that, you know, there's, there's anywhere from 12 to 20 very, very well-known uninhabited islands. Um, but there's like millions of undiscovered, unclaimed islands that people have just never, either you can't land there, there's nowhere safely to land, you can't feasibly get your boat there because it's just dangerous, maybe it's a lot of, you know, small reefs and so on and so forth, and it's just too dangerous to get as close to as possible. Do they know where it is? Sure. Would they look there for anyone? Maybe not. So you have to look at it from that perspective. A lot of people say, oh, people are going to come, there's land. And that is the first smart thing to do, is if you find land, to think to yourself, maybe there is people here. And, you know, after you've sort of gone through your emotions of dealing with the fact that you have just lived through something really traumatic a couple of times over. The plane crashed, you survived a water landing, you uh, survived being tossed around in the ocean, and now you found this island. It's okay to take a breather. Assess the situation. Um, first thing you probably want to do definitely is see if there are people there. Um, the island that, that they actually shot the movie on was one of the islands, um, off of Fiji. So there were locals there that, but I mean, in terms of like shooting a movie is different than, you know, um, just happening upon a deserted island. One of the things they did was they had hired some of the locals to work with the crew and part of the payment was that they they just let them keep stuff they were like oh do you want these tools do you want these hammers do you want these like we're not, we don't want to take the stuff back and they need it and they're so sort of out there that getting that kind of stuff um was very helpful to them along with you know getting paid and whatnot so yeah so the first thing you want to do see if it is inhabited if it is end of story unless it's like people who have never seen a westerner ever and they just start shooting arrows at you, and then that's a whole other survival show. But um, yeah, so that's the first thing you wanna do. Once you've established that there's no one there, which he did, um, really the next thing is water. The biggest problem with uh, desert island survival is that more times than not, the desert island is in the ocean. So what are you surrounded by? salt water what's that saying water water everywhere not a drop to drink you can't drink salt water you will die can you distill it sure 
there are ways to go about that. But if you've never practiced that, then that's going to be a hard time. Um, you know, you, in order to do that, you have to have a way of making fire. And one of the things that I do um, still to this day, and I've, I've gotten my wife in the habit of it, um, we are not smokers, but we both carry a lighter. Carrying a lighter is the easiest way at all times to have a way of making fire. Now, granted, if you were tossed around in the water, it's going to be waterlogged. Eventually, it'll dry out. You know, and it, and if it doesn't, if, even if you've leaked all the fluid out of it, um, it can still make a spark, which is a lot easier than rubbing two sticks together. So the problem with uh, making fire if you don't have a lighter is um, you would have to know how to do a friction fire, which is incredibly hard to do if you've never done them before. So another way you can do this, um, and I have a, there's a really great article that I am referencing quite a bit of this information from. Um, it's from DesertIslandSurvival.com. Um, very quick sort of read bullet points the whole nine yards. So he sort of talks about how um, the easiest way to, to make a fire if you don't have a lighter is a convex lens. So like by magnification. So if you wear glasses, um, the bottom of a glass bottle, even a plastic bottle um, or a clear bag uh, full of water, like seawater could work. The other thing that you have to realize, which I feel like we only got a little bit of this sort of towards um, the end of the movie, was that in the ocean there, because we are disgusting beings, there is a huge amount of trash. Um, you're going to find a lot of things washed up. I'm a little bit bothered that there wasn't more of that in the movie, because that's real life. If you've ever been to a beach, ever. There's always trash. There's always trash. There's always um, nets. There's always barrels. There's always everything. Um, so it could have very easily sort of had like water jugs and possibly glass and things like that that could have been used for magnification. But as you know, the biggest part of the movie was when he's trying to make fire and he's bitching and moaning about it and, and busting up his hand and then he makes fire and he goes, I made fire and he's dancing around like a lunatic. Um, yeah, he there were a lot of mistakes he made in there because he didn't know how to do those things. We don't generally walk around with friction uh, fire kits anymore. Our ancestors did. Um, they they walked around with that and some, some char cloth, um, you know, or uh, flint. They, they, they knew which rocks you strike together to get a spark. Um, we just don't do that anymore. Um, the biggest thing with a friction fire is this. You have to have the right type of wood um, to make a friction fire. A real hard wood is not going to be helpful, so you need something kind of soft. Um, and that's basically through trial and error, unless you're going to learn every tree branch there ever was. Um, you know, that's really good for a, a soft branch is good for either like a hand drill or like a fire plow, which is what he was using where he was going sort of back and forth. Um, you want to collect as much standing dead wood, have everything sort of um, ready to make your fire. The last thing you want to do is have this little thing 
you know, this little bundle of whatever, and then realize, oh shit, I, I never collected any firewood. Um, so yeah, so you want to have a couple of choices here. Carry a little Bic lighter with you. Um, I always carry a lighter. I do wear glasses. Generally when I travel, I have my glasses in my carry-on bag. Um, like the one that goes underneath your, your seat or the seat in front of you. Um, because I'm just always paranoid that I'm going to be blind in a survival situation. So I always carry extra contacts and my glasses in a hard shell case. So if I'm lucky and I had the opportunity to strap my bag to myself, then I would have my glasses and, um, my lighter. The cool thing is in, in like this movie, he clearly was on sort of like a cargo plane. And I don't know if they have to go through the same process of like how we go through TSA. I feel like that was not really a thing. Also, I feel like TSA is drastically different than it was even 25 years ago. Because people used to be able to bring like little pen knives with them and stuff. And that was one of the things that he was like kicking himself in the ass for is he had given um, his girlfriend the keys and it had his little um, his little knife on it, you know, his, his Swiss Army knife on it, which probably would have made all the world a difference when he was out there. Um, but that does lead into the fact that that's why... One, why he didn't just start opening all those boxes to begin with. I have no fucking idea. I would have opened all of them. I, at that point, I have no loyalty. I've discovered there's no one on the island. Um, I'm seeing a floating pilot. Like, I've been traumatized. All your shit's mine. All of it's mine. I'm using all of these things. Um, which is one of the reasons why in the movie, they sort of gave this thing of, here's... Here's, here's the ice skates, you know, because that's going to be a, a huge survival tool for him. A knife or a machete or an axe or a hatchet or any of those things is super important in a survival situation. Now, what if the uh, des you know desert island gods did not bequeath you uh, some skates? Then that would be the time for you to um, maybe get some clamshells, break them off to, you know, to kind of create a razor sharp knife, lash him to a sturdy stick, um, you know, anything with a sharp edge is going to help you. Um, if there's bamboo, bamboo is a great tool in a survival situation. Um, you know, sharp rocks, uh, and like I said, a lot of times there's trash. So, a broken glass bottle, that can turn into a little knife, which would help your survival situation quite a bit. Um, he definitely at the beginning of all of it had a really hard time water food the whole nine yards water is a is a bitch um you really have to know how to either distill water or how to find water um if it's raining to make some kind of catchment system the thing is this, if you're in this kind of situation, you know, they always say, oh, you need a gallon of water a day. In the States, that's what we say. In other countries, they say two liters um, of water a day um, just to live. You're you're out in the sun. You're doing extra amounts of stuff. You've been through a lot of trauma. You probably need a lot more water uh, than that 
So, you know, a lot of survival experts will say, like, you need to conserve water. That doesn't necessarily mean don't drink. That means do less. So that way your body isn't using up as much water. So best bet, you want to gather as many, you know, those any bits of garbage that could be used to collect water. Um, you know, you can make a simple sort of solar still out of it. I would highly recommend sort of looking what the up what those are. Um, and you know, you can make a really primitive still. I don't know how to do that. I would probably do like dew collection or make sure I had some kind of rain catchment. And I would probably try to go up as high as I could to see where I could find somewhere that rainwater would collect, which is what he ends up finding sort of in that cave is this area where the rainwater collects. And that ends up being like his like, well, I don't know if we want to call it that. Cistern, you know, it's just a little water source, um, you know, but most importantly, you have to conserve your water. So you have a lot of work to do. Um, one, you need to find water or figure out a way to get water or figure out a way to distill water. You need to figure out how you're going to make fire because that's going to be a lot of things. One, it's going to keep you warm at night. It's not always a tropical place. It gets cold at night. Um, it's also good for a signal. It's good to keep sort of bugs away. Um, cause that's another thing, you know, people think of the beach and they think tropical paradise, but really you're talking about mosquitoes and, um, oh, what are they called? Sand, sand fleas just biting you up. Um, this is, if you've ever seen that show naked and afraid, like all they do is get bit up by stuff. Um, so you want to make sure that uh, you start off with water, start off with fire, uh, figure out how to conserve your water, and then after that, it's sort of trying to find food. And the reason why is because we've we've talked about this. You can go a long time, three weeks without food. You can only go three days without water. You know, so you want to kind of like keep your sort of talking and things like that to a minimum. Do your work when it's not the hottest out. Um, and realize that eating food actually requires a huge amount of water to break down in your stomach. So if you're eating a lot, but you're only drinking a little bit of water, you're actually doing more damage to yourself. Um, yes, you can get coconuts in the zap, but you know, like it says in the movie, coconuts have sort of a, a uh, laxative effect. It's a great electrolyte. And of course, there's coconut meat that's, you know, sort of like a sugary carb deliciousness. Um, but it'll go right through you. So also, don't eat anything you don't know. Just because it looks like a lemon or it looks like a melon or an apple or a berry. If you don't know it for sure, don't eat that. There's so many things that are poisonous out there that if you're not 100% sure, don't do that. And yes, there are ways that you can kind of assess a situation. I am not that way. That is for you to go and 
read books and speak to an expert on it, um, you know, that's, that's, you're not gonna get that information from me. Um, after that, you kind of need to make a shelter. Um, for a host of reasons. But really, a shelter is kind of more of a mental, um, a mental help, psychologically, to have a home, to feel sort of encased by something. There's many, many sort of, um, indigenous and aboriginal people that still exist today where they make, um, very primitive shelters. They have, um, oh, I wish I could remember what the name it is. It's on Naked and Afraid all the time where they put all these like branches on the outskirts of the um, of the shelter to keep animals out because it would, you know, like, God, I can't remember that name. Um, but it just makes you feel safe. Being in some kind of structure makes you feel safe. Um, and you have to look for something that's relatively easy to put up and maintain. Again, you are trying to conserve water, you've just been through a whole bunch of stuff and you know so if you're looking for something that has an overhang make sure it's you know not like a tree that's gonna fall and kill you um you know and then if you find a good sturdy tree you kind of create like a sort of like put pillars on each side and sort of just create a little area if you could be in but it also has to be stable it, it definitely can't be kind of flimsy and childlike. You have to make sure that um, you don't want it to fall over if there is a storm. Um, you can learn how to weave palms, sort of overlap them to make like a roof. Um, I would go with the uh, Tom Hanks thing of that cave. That that's easier. That's easy enough for me. Like that's as long as you've noticed you've checked it out for a few days and it doesn't immediately flood with water, it's relatively safe. I would just start bringing in, you know, stuff to make bedding and you know maybe create a small wooden door out of some fallen trees or something just to keep the wind out, um, you know. But also again. Like I said, a lot of the times in on these islands, you're going to find a lot of trash. So that's the one disappointing thing about the movie is that, you know, and it takes him a long time to sort of get in the groove of things. Once he made fire, that was a big psychological boost for him. Once he found the little water well cave thing, that was a boost for him. And then when you fast forward where he's been there for quite a time, you know, he's clearly lost about... 50 pounds and he looks like a crazy person he's created his wilson soccer ball um also that was to help his mentality i don't think most of us have ever spent the whole day not talking to someone we are even if we don't like people social people so that's one of the things that um i think that makes the movie so emotional is because one i think he's a dick to start with i just think he's just i i can't stand in the beginning you know like when he's like mr fedex guy and he can't seem to get his life together with his girlfriend um i think he's a complete dick and then towards the end of it you're like oh maybe i was a little too harsh on that guy he 
he's losing his mind. So yeah, so mental health is a good thing to work on as well as physical health. But um, I originally was going to do a whole other part about sort of like making this sort of um, trek that he does where he makes the boat and the raft and goes off or whatever. But I think in a survival situation, more times than not, um, unless it's extreme and this is a movie, so you know they just went for the extreme of it. Staying where you are is probably your best bet. Um, and that's what I would do in a survival situation. Um, I would try to make myself be seen as much as possible. Signal fires, you know, big signs uh, that say SOS or help or hi or something stupid. Maybe I'd say like a big curse word, just be like, fuck, and just like a big thing. Um, because actually, do you know SOS doesn't mean anything? Some people say it means save our souls. It doesn't. It's actually just the easiest things the easiest uh, three dashes, three dots, three lines, you know, thing to do on Morse code. That's all that is. It's the easiest thing to type. It's kind of like um, how in other countries their 911 is actually 111. That makes more sense. Because if you're like in a freaked out situation, dialing 111 makes more sense than 911. You have to move your hands. But either way, that's so I digress. So my, my signal uh, word would probably just be fuck and hope that someone who speaks English <laughs> sees it and goes, oh shit, she's, she's fucked. Um, but I didn't, well, I didn't want to get into that because I, I don't, I am not an ocean person. Um, I don't know that I would take the chance, but he felt that that's where he was at. Um, and everyone has to make that decision on their own. So let's talk a bit about what you would do um, in terms of fitness, because this is a, this is a rough one. You know, um, there's a lot of moving parts in terms of fitness because clearly we start off with his character being overweight. Um, you know, kind of normal middle-aged overweight, very typical American kind of look. Um, and then we get to him and he's like, you know, rail thin, um, but clearly very strong. And, you know, one of the most important things you can do for your health at any time is to one, um, start any kind of fitness program, you know, um, but also to keep your weight in check, whatever that means for you. Some people like to use the height chart thing. I don't, I think that, I think most people have called bullshit on that. Uh, BMI. I think a lot of people call bullshit on that too. I think you have to be comfortable, but you also have to be realistic. Um, do you need to be real thin? No. Do you, should you be morbidly obese where you can't even tie your shoes? Absolutely not. You need to figure out what your, your thing is. Um, I run, I hike, I bike, I swim, I do all sorts of stuff and I would probably not be on whatever chart someone thinks I need to be on and I'm fine with that. Um, but mostly it's about getting healthier for those people in your life that you're trying to get healthier for. So, um, what can you do? Well, you get your weight in check. You get a realistic goal of what you want to do. Don't say to yourself, I need to lose 50 pounds. That's bullshit. And 
it's too big for you to, to, to look at. You can start with these small incremental things that you can do every single day. Instead of saying, I need to lose 50 pounds, say, I'm going to go for a 15 minute walk every single day. And then the week after that, or two weeks after that, I'm going to go on a 20 minute walk every single day until you get up to half an hour a day. And then all of a sudden you've been walking for six months and maybe you've lost 10 pounds just by walking. Say to yourself, you know what? I'm going to eat a really one really healthy meal a day. I'm not going to change anything of the rest. Small incremental changes every single day. That's how you can get your, your fitness sort of under control. Uh, you know, but for very specific things, swimming, um, would be really, really important. Clearly he's on a desert Island. He's had to either wade in the water, go into the water, he had to swim from the wreckage to the Island. Um, you know, diving for food. So you want to work on your swimming and that could be very like, like what I'm doing right now. I literally just bought um, it's called a lane, like a lane. What do you call it when people put the thing in their mouth and a snorkel? <laughs> so it actually goes in front. So that way I can work on my actual form without having to worry about breathing. So the snorkel actually goes directly in front of me as opposed to the side. So that way I can stay sort of streamlined just to work on my actual form. Because when you start, say, if I were to say, oh, I'm a shit swimmer and just go with what I have, I would give up. So instead I have to work on one little thing at a time, that little incremental bit of change. Um, okay. So you want to work on getting your, your weight sort of under control and where you're happy with it. Swimming, you want to be stronger in swimming. Um, I would add in hiking and I wouldn't necessarily say like, um, like not mountain climbing, but sort of, you know, like when you go to, um, those indoor climbing gyms, you know, I think, I mean, honestly, that's, that's a great way to get a full body workout. Um, and he did have to climb quite a bit. And since you're not marooned on a deserted Island, maybe that's a cool way to have like a date. And, you know, you go to the indoor climbing gym and then go get a really healthy meal afterwards and, and call it done. But, um, hiking for sure. Um, he did a lot of hiking. I didn't see him do too much running. So in terms of that, I would imagine, um, I mean, running's always good, but I, I always suggest people walking is just as good. Um, well, cause running is just walking really fast guys. Like it's not like, it's not, I don't know. I, I don't want people to be like, Oh, I can never be a runner. You can, but also you could just walk. That's fine too. Um, so yeah, I would suggest, um, getting your weight under control, get some swim lessons, do some hiking, um, indoor climbing gym. Sounds like a great plan. I would say spend time outdoors. I think as a society, we just don't, we should really be out more and be used to the elements. Like we get very, we're very, very spoiled. in the fact that 
when it's too cold, we can turn the heat on. When it's too hot, we can turn the AC on. We have the option of all these clothes. So, you know, like I just put on a sweater uh, maybe two hours ago and I'm about to take it off because it's starting to get warm in the house. Um, you kind of have to realize that sometimes it's okay to be a little uncomfortable. Get Let yourself be a little uncomfortable. Um, it's less of a blow to your psyche if you know what it really feels like to be cold or hungry or you know, wet or too hot, um, you know, and, and you won't think it's the end of the world. Um, you know, so it's really important that you let yourself feel that. Um, but, uh, different note, you know, if you guys find me on Facebook, apocalypse fitness podcast, find me on Insta, same name. Um, but I wanted to end this with, because I, I really do feel like the mental health aspect is super important. So, uh, you know, if you guys, if you're feeling any kind of way, um, and you feel like you have no one to reach out to, um, I really would implore you to or employ you to reach out. Uh, the national suicide prevention hotline is one 800 273-8255. So that's 1-800-273-8255. So just know that you're not alone. Um, mental health is just as important as physical health, uh, health and, um, stay safe. And I will see you guys soon. Take care.